is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 191, recorded on Monday, the 1st of December, 2014. Uh, my kids got their advent calendars going today because it's the 1st of December. <laughs> I got my advent calendars going today because it's the 1st of December. Good for you. Yours is made of Lego, though, probably, right? Well, there's a chocolate one downstairs, too. So uh, I, I had a piece of chocolate, and uh, when this podcast is over, I'm going to crack open the first uh, little Lego thing that I get. Good for you. All right. Well, that now that we've gotten that out of the way, welcome to December, everybody, and welcome to the show. Once again, I just want to apologize for no feedback show earlier this week for episode number seven as as you know if you were listening last time i was away in vancouver doing some stuff and we just couldn't make it work i had a really busy week out there and with the time difference and all that kind of stuff it just didn't didn't work out but we're gonna make it up to you this week because we will do of course a feedback show on wednesday and uh -huh. we'll probably do another one as soon as we can after that and i don't mean like thursday but like the next time we record we will get through as much of the feedback emails calls and stuff like that as we can so we'll do we'll do a feedback show at uh, on wednesday at about seven and then another one wednesday at about nine maybe something like that is that, is that too soon it might be a little soon or or we could just do one from like seven to midnight <laughs> we'll just keep going if there's if, as soon as you run out of feedback uh we'll just sit there and wait for the emails to come in yeah that's right okay we got another <laughs> live one. We got another one good stuff no there's all oh, kinds that was an ad read it anyway <laughs> yeah. Is your Pen 1.5 not suitable? <laughs> That's kind of ads I get. Um, yeah, so we will do that. There's all kinds of email feedback sitting there and calls and so on waiting to be played and read. So we will do that. But sorry we missed it last week. We'll try not to let that happen again. However, Vancouver sure is a beautiful city, though, man. Boy, the mountains and the ocean right there. I hadn't been to Vancouver in 30 years, so I didn't remember it at all. Wow. At all. But boy, is it ever nice out there. Last time I was there was in 2001, I think. No, 2000. So it's been a that while for you, time. too. It not has quite, been a while. Not quite 30 years, but... Anyways, it was, it was fun. Um, but let's stop talking about that. Let's... Uh, Let's just move right into our recap for the mid-season finale, shall we? Yeah. yeah. All right. It was called Coda. And for once, no one sent in a recording of Coda. Or at least there, if you if you did, I apologize. I haven't gotten to that email yet. <laughs> They're mad at you, Chris. The listeners are mad at you for not uh, having the Wednesday show. Jeez, I know. I know. I feel really bad about it. I feel really bad about it. Um, but we'll we'll do it. We'll, we, will, we will make it up. So this episode is called Coda. And we get our cold open here and we have shots of feet running really fast. And at first it's like, whose feet are those? And then we see um, Officer Lamson, who is on the lamb, son, and he is well, trying being to... On, you know, running from somebody, trying to escape is different than being on the lamb. <laughs> being on the lamb is laying low, right? Not making too many waves, just kind of uh, hanging out. But no, he's not quite on the lamb yet. Okay, he's he's going for on the lamb status, but he doesn't ever achieve it. That's right. All right, so he's trying to scrape the. Are his hands tied with tape or zip ties? I think tape. 
Uh, I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. Well, he's trying to get out of his makeshift handcuffs by scraping them on the front of one of the police cars. We see that. Zip ties. Zip ties? All right. He's Zip trying ties. to break those. And we see some zombies approaching, and we cut back and forth between these two scenes a couple of times, which I thought was kind of a neat, I don't know, a neat film device here where you see the feet, you see the scraping, you see the zombies. You, th- you see the feet, you see the scraping, you see the zombies. I thought it was kind of kind of neat. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course we find out that it is Rick and he's running to chase after escaping officer Bob and he gets in a car and drives up behind him and he loudspeakers him to stop. Right. But does officer Bob stop? No, Bob, uh, officer Bob does not stop. He keeps going and Rick decides that the best thing he can do now is to run him down, to run him over so with the car. This is one of the, uh, the better tropes. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an actual trope, but one of the one of the devices you see in television and movies is uh, somebody running away from a car that's chasing them. Right. And what do you do when you run away from a car that's chasing you? Obviously, in TV and movies, you run straight away from the car. Mm-hmm. You don't turn at 90 degrees because uh, everybody knows that cars can also turn at 90 degrees, so that really doesn't do any, any good. That's sarcasm for you folks out there. <laughs> so... What you should do is run in the direction, you know, make maneuvers that cars can't do because that's how you outrun a car. But in this case, it's the better ones that I've seen because he does try and veer off the road at a couple of points, but he gets, uh, he runs across a, a few straggling zomb- zombies. And so he can't go that way. So, he, and because of the way the buildings are, the only way he can run in this situation is straight away from the car, which is terribly, terribly unfortunate for him. So, what you're saying is, um, in this case, it's kind of works for you because he has no other option. He's just trying to get away. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have any other options that I can see for getting away from this vehicle and he can't run up to a door and open it and then go in a building because, you know, cars can't go in buildings. So going in a building is probably a good idea, but his t- hands are tied behind him with zip ties. And so, uh, opening a door, uh, is very difficult for him. Right. So really... He is in bad, you know, there's a bad risk that he is going to get run over by this car, especially once Rick decides that that's what he's going to do. <laughs> that's the, that's the option. Yeah. Yeah. So he runs him over. He just basically punts him forward. He's now on the ground. Rick gets out of the car and says, look, all you had to do was stop. And he says it a couple times. You just had to stop. But you stupid idiot, you kept running. When you yeah. run over somebody, don't give him a lecture just for future reference. I mean, you've already hit the guy. You've already probably broken his back and scraped his head along the ground a little bit. You don't need to give him a lecture. You're adding He knows insult. he's done bad, yeah. You're adding insult to injury at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's really probably unnecessary, but Rick takes the next step and he just pulls out his gun and shoots him. He kills him point blank. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he mentions that uh, I think my back is broken, right? So mm-hmm. what's Rick going to do, right? There's no real option at this point. He has to put him down. Well, do you think that had he just been just been injured and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't paralyzed due to a broken back, Rick would have picked him up and drove him back and kept him alive? Yeah. If he wasn't terribly injured, I think he would have. Hmm. I'm not so uh, sure. Well, I mean, if he's just down, I mean, he, he got him. His, the whole point of this exercise was to capture the running guy, right? Uh, You know, not get revenge on the running guy for running. I'm not so sure about that. I I feel like Rick took the opportunity to punish this guy for knocking out Sasha and making a break for it. I think I, I thought I, he was trying to cat recapture him. 
So and I thought the broken back was the uh, was the clincher. You know, he doesn't do me any good with a broken back because we're going to have to drag him around everywhere. Uh, so I put him down. I don't know. It, I guess it depends on what you sort of how you view Rick. Is he really at a point now where he's going to try to recapture this guy or give him a second chance? Or is Rick now at a point where he's like, you know what? We, you, you had your chance. You didn't take it. You ran. And then to top it all off, you didn't stop when I said stop. So I ran you over and you don't get to live anymore. I don't know. Right. It's Rick could go either way. No, and I think you're right because, you know, Rick's position is he, want, he wanted to go in guns a-blazing. Mm-hmm. And this might be uh, by putting him down. Uh, this might be furthering that position, right? It might be, it might force this into uh, going in guns a blazing instead of uh, negotiating for an exchange. Yeah, and they kind of talk about that a little bit later on when he when he brings him back. Um, but first, we oh, you, one other thing I noticed about this scene is that Rick uses his python to kill him, his big gun, not yep. the silenced handgun that he's been carrying around lately. Which I thought was interesting because, Fun. as you know, they don't like to make too much noise. But maybe he figured there were already zombies like in the area on their way to them. He thought, I'm going to use the fun gun this time. Yeah, he's in a good position to, to do that. So uh, make make some noise. Make some noise. All right. So we get our opening credits. And after that, we are with Father Gabriel. And he is now at the termites camp by the school where they were eating Bob. So that's where he was on his way to in the forest. Yeah. He looks at some magazines that are on the ground and a deck of cards, and he picks up a backpack, and in it finds uh, Mary B.'s Bible. So right. that's uh, Gareth's mom, Mary. It's her backpack, her Bible. And he notices Bob's cooked foot on the grill, which he <laughs> throws away. Pretty nasty foot, actually. Yeah, it's not really great. I mean, it's been sitting there for a couple of days. Maggots all over it. it was... Maggots, yeah. It was gross. He kicks the grill away or throws it away. And just at that moment, the zombies that were inside the school that have been there the whole time, banging on the glass, they bust through the glass doors and uh, start to come at him. So he limps away into the forest because remember, he had a nail through his foot. And um, we cut to him coming to the tree with that symbol on it. Made a real point of showing us that symbol again, I feel like. Yep. And uh, the zombies are still coming. He gets back to the church, and of course, zombies are still around because he's not all that fast with that uh, nail foot. It looks like he goes to climb back under to get back into um, the sort of rectory room in the church. But I guess it looks like he decided he didn't have time to crawl under, so he goes to the front door. Yeah, let me in, let me in. Yeah, and he grabs one of the organ pipes there to defend himself. So Carl and Michonne are inside, and they hear him. And she uses an axe to hack open the door that they just recently painstakingly hammered shut. And uh, eventually she gets it open and he runs in. Carl shoots a couple and Michonne samurais a few, but there are just too many zombies coming into the church. Yeah, good old Father Gabriel brought a whole herd to the church. Like the whole point was to defend the church so that they... uh... They wouldn't have to go through this. Yeah, and there's two two things I thought that were sort of funny about this scene. First of all, all those pipes that were out that that they put out in front of the door, as you said, did nothing because yeah. the whole herd just walked in. Even after it looked like they were kind of stuck there because they didn't immediately get him while he was banging on the door still outside. And the other thing is, I don't know that I would really you know, full-on swing an axe with a baby strapped to my back. 
<laughs> oh, like sure Mich- you would. Like Michonne was doing. That baby would get shaken around pretty significantly, I think. Yeah, probably true. And you, we all know you shouldn't shake babies too much. No, of course not. No, at all. <laughs> Don't say too much. <laughs> well, you could bounce them on your knees. That's shaking a baby yeah, sort of a little can, bit, right? You can rock or jiggle a baby just for Yeah, okay. For so, it's, all right. So, shake has some negative connotations, but generally you can move babies around. Uh, they're, they're relatively sturdy when you do that, but I, you know, I wouldn't shake them or jump up and down or, you know, swing them by the foot and, uh, throw them onto the couch. I wouldn't, thing. I wouldn't strap a baby to my back and ax a door either. I'm just okay. saying. Is that where you draw the line? I draw the line somewhere around there, man. One of yeah. the most horrific things I've ever seen. And, uh, you're going to laugh at me is way back before we had kids, we went and did the prenatal class that a lot of people do. Yep. And um, they teach you all the crazy stuff like changing diapers and feeding babies and everything else you need to know. And there is, of course, a section on, you know, not shaking babies, (laughs) of course. And she brings out this doll and she does a little like jiggle jiggle sort of rock thing to say this kind of thing is okay, but this is not. And then she shakes this doll and its head is just flailing back and forth. And... Even though it was only a doll, it no, was that'd be so horrifying. It was so upsetting to watch. So upsetting. You remember that? Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't like. It's. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. It's. It, cartoon violence bothers me more than real violence, because <laughs> you can get away with a lot more with cartoon violence, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody's actually getting hurt. You remember that Hulk movie where uh, where the he was fighting the tank, mm-hmm. and uh, there was all kinds of bullets flying, and all the bullets were hitting his skin. That happens not, to Hulk not, all the time, though. I know, but the, with the cartoon, you can show that kind of thing—the indentation of the skin, the bullets don't break it. But uh, that kind of that kind of that level of violence kind of got to me a little bit, and it's 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 more so with cartoon violence. With with the doll in your case, that thing would freak me out more than uh, uh, than anything because you know, with a real baby, you're not going to demonstrate that that level of violence. But with a, with a doll baby, you can demonstrate that level of violence, and it's very disturbing. Well, it, it was very disturbing. I'm I'm sure watching someone do that to a real baby would disturb me more. But well, it, of course, it just well, came it just came out of nowhere, sort of right. Like I didn't expect her to to do that demonstration, and even though it was a doll, it really freaked me out. Anyways, I thought of that when Michonne was axing this door. And Judith was like swinging around on her back and I was like, come on, put the baby down somewhere or I don't know, let Carl hold it while you're axing the door. Okay. So that just to reassure you, that wasn't a real baby either. I know that. Okay. It, it was a doll, but still. Right. Um, so what happens? Yeah. They get inside. Michonne samurais a few. There are too many zombies. So they take cover back in the rectory and Gabriel is holding the door closed with a chair, sort of, and he instructs Carl and Michonne to go through the hole in the floor to escape. And after they do that, he runs, jumps in the hole, and uh, goes out. But just as a zombie comes crashing through, the door splits her head wide open on a machete that's standing right perfectly there in the right spot. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a pretty cool head-splitting moment, I thought. Uh, All right. Outside of the church now, Michonne and Carl have waited for him, which is nice of them. It is. They kill a couple of zombies that did happen to get stuck on the organ pipes. So a couple zombies were stupid enough or not smart enough to get through there. And then they close the church doors from the outside, locking the zombies in. There. Now you're stuck in church forever. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that they are, in fact, stuck in church until someone lets them out. Yeah. And they hammer the doors closed from the outside this time and use a belt around the doorknobs. Did you see those nails? Where do they get those nails? Those aren't normal nails. Those are like 1880s nails. I don't know. Were were they like roofing nails or something? I'm not sure. No, they were, you know, old-timey nails from before nails were mass-produced. They were like individually made by a blacksmith nails or horseshoeing nails or something. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe this church is really, really old, and they salvaged a bunch of nails from other parts of it or something, and that's that's what they have. I don't know. Maybe somebody knows more about those nails, but to me, nails like have, uh, you know, they're slightly spiraled, they're round, and they have a round flat head on the on the top that you can hit with a hammer. Mm-hmm. These ones were just weird. Well, I don't know. They're old time nails. It's an old church. I think that's okay. what that's how we explain that. Now, was it just me, or did you think to yourself, light the church on fire, burn it the hell down with the zombies inside? Uh, no, I didn't think of it at the time, but that makes perfect sense and reminds me that I thought that they would burn the church. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, okay, they've trapped a bunch, a bunch of zombies in. It's not ideal because now they have nowhere to, like, live, but at, they could either just walk away and leave them there, which I guess wouldn't be the worst thing to do, or they can light it on oh. fire and actually destroy all these zombies and have a nice big bonfire. And then there's no chance that as they're walking away, the zombies can get out somehow and continue to follow them. I mean, uh, that makes perfect sense. But uh, from a television production point of view, they couldn't burn the church because of what's going to happen later. <laughs> okay, fine. That's just a story thing. But I think it would have made sense to light the church on fire. And since we knew if that they built the church for the show... You were yes. saying, well, then it's going to be burned down. Well, that's what I mean by from a from a production point of view. I thought, you know, because they built the church specifically for this show, that they would end up burning the church down. Because right. that's what you do. When you build something, you figure out a way to burn it down. That's the main thing. That's why I build stuff. If Daryl was there, they would have burnt the damn thing down. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. He would have been lighting that fire while everyone was standing around wondering what to do. That's right. Uh, okay, we go to a commercial break and we come back and we're with Sasha and the group and Rick and everybody and she looks really, really sorry and guilty about being fooled by Officer Bob there. Yep. And Rick comes in, tells Daryl that Bob wouldn't stop and they talk about rethinking their plan. So we killed Bob. Maybe this plan we have isn't, isn't going to work now. Well, we killed one of them, so why don't we just go ahead and kill them all? Because we've already started that ball rolling, right? That's right. They won't be, I mean, the, the, the what they're thinking is it won't be, they won't have as much incentive to make the trade because now we've gone and killed somebody and that shows that we're not exactly the nicest people, you know? We're right. we're willing to kill them um, instead of make a trade. Well, you can, you can use that too, right? Because you can walk up to them and say, uh, you got two of our people. We had three of yours, but... That wasn't a fair trade, so we killed that one guy. <laughs> and we want this to be fair. So now it's fair. Right. Killing the guy made it fair, see? <laughs> That's um, what I would have done. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, they decide to find out what the two remaining prisoners think. And I don't know if you wrote down the names of these prisoners, but I think one of them is O'Donnell. But there's a lot of cop names we get in this episode. I forget the other one right now. I didn't write them down, no. All right. Well, they go to talk to them. And the woman, the woman cop that they have, the, um, says that they'll tell Don that Lampson was attacked by rotters. So they didn't kill him. They're going to lie and just say, no, he died by accident. 
And they say that if Dawn knows they killed him, the deal will be off. So that's that's why they have to come up with this story. And they agree to lie about it. Good. Which is good. A conspiracy is always the way to go in a, in a pinch. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> why lie when you can just tell the truth? Right. Uh, Dawn. We cut to Dawn. She's working out in her room on her exercise bike. Charging the batteries. Charging the batteries. That's right. She is trying to get the other cops up on the radio, but there's no response. She should use the red phone. There's a red phone on a hook right behind her. So uh, I wonder if that's hooked up to anything. Well, that's either the bat phone to call Batman. That's a black phone with bat wings on it. Wasn't the, in the original Batman (laughs) show with Adam West, wasn't the phone red? Probably. I think it was red. It's also, that's also the nuclear launch missile phone, right? Well, it's the uh, it's the emergency phone between the the president of the United States and the uh, you know strategic launch command or whatever the hell it's called in, in Cheyenne Mountain. Does that phone still exist? No, probably not. They use they use cell phones. They probably just text each other, "Launch now," <laughs> and then the other guy writes back, "Who is this?" <laughs> enter, please enter your launch code. Launch yeah. code is A A A A one two three four cent. That's the kind of <laughs> launch code an idiot would have on his luggage. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's seven digits. I mean, that's a lot, really. It is, but they're all A's. <laughs> and one, yeah. two, three, four. Um, that that actually, actually is a true, true fact. I, uh, I read somewhere that uh, they had uh, implemented individual launch codes on a whole bunch of different uh, missile systems. So each missile had its own individual launch code, uh, and this was imposed on the military. And for years, the launch code that they happened to enter for all of the missiles was zero 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 zero. What do you mean happened to enter? That doesn't make well, any sense. Well, they didn't. Well, they entered it. They kind of circumvented the security measure by entering the same code for all the missiles, and they were all zeros. It's like using the same password for everything. That's right. Like I do. Right. That's why you it's don't have any password management and can never remember the password to our stupid email account. It's A-A-A-A-1234. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Log into Jason's bank and pay his bills for him. Yeah, please. That'd be great. Not with my money, though. No, log into your bank and pay my bills. <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. Then he can afford more Lego. Yeah. All righty. Well, Beth is in the room where Dawn is working out, and she asks if something is wrong. They talk about Captain Hansen, who, if you recall, was the former leader of the group at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don tells Beth about him being a mentor and a friend, but he lost the respect and support of his police force, and you can't do that if you're going to be a leader. Apparently not. We now go back to the church where Carl and Michonne uh, are outside, and with Gabe, of course. She asks where Gabe went, and he says he went to the school because he, quote, had to see, had to know. Right. So... Why did he go to this school? Is it, I think it's because he wanted to find out if there was actual justification for the slaughter of the termites in his church. Is, is that what, is that what he was doing there? Like he wanted to make sure, like he was upset by that, right? Yeah. And he wanted to make sure that it was, or maybe not justified, but the reasons behind it, right? He wanted to go and find out if Rick and everybody killing those people so mercilessly you know, was um, because of something, or is it just because these people are horrible, horrible murderers? I, I think that uh, that's a reasonable explanation. I mean, why else would he go there, right? And yeah. and why specifically there? I, I don't know. That's, that's what I think he was doing, though. He wanted to make sure that the people he was with actually weren't just murderers, but they thought before they acted. 
or at least had a reason. <laughs> and I think he knows now, seeing the foot, that I think that's probably enough justification. I have a feeling that Gabe is a little bit more with our group now than he was before. Yeah, I would uh, I'd agree with that. And he may stick with them for a while. Uh, zombies are inside the church, though, as we know, and they start breaking the door. But just then, the fire truck drives up with um, Abe and the gang in it and crashes through the church steps to block the zombies from getting outside the church. Awesome. So that's why they couldn't light the church on fire, because a fire truck would show up, and they just put out the fire. <laughs> that's right, a fire truck. They didn't know the fire truck was on the way. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's a good thing they didn't try, because, you know, uh, there's a fire truck. I think it would have been better if they would have started a fire and a fire truck shows up. That would have been awesome. It, it would have been actually kind of hilarious if the church was burning and the fire truck shows up. Now, they don't have any water, and it would have been silly if they tried to put the fire out, but right. it is sort of uh, hilarious that a fire truck drives up when there's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what happened. They crashed no. through the, through the uh, steps to block the door. I'm not really sure how Abraham knew that there were zombies in the church, because I don't know if there's a lot of... Windows. There was fingers. There was fingers. Uh, the, the doors were starting to open, and there was a lot of zombie fingers in the door, and uh, it was starting to fall apart, and uh, our intrepid heroes were staring at the door with worried looks on their faces. And so I think Abraham put the whole thing together. Yeah, he figured, said, I got to block that door before it bursts open. He figured and, that all out, though, just driving up like from a little country road like that. I don't know. They got big windows on those fire trucks. All right. Well, he must have really good eyesight, too. High-definition windows. Oh, HD windows, eh? HD windows, 4K windows. Man, you should see... This is a this is a rat hole, but you should... I was at the Grey Cup, which is Canada's Super Bowl. The CFL, which is Canadian football, their championship game is called the Grey Cup. I'm just explaining that for everyone out there who knows. That's one of the reasons I was in, uh, in Montreal. Nope, Vancouver. Vancouver, man. <laughs> Wrong way. Other way. Vancouver. <laughs> Um, and it's in a stadium called BC Place in Vancouver, which is a pretty, pretty nice, um, stadium. And they have, I think the second largest hanging scoreboard in the world on it. Yeah. And the screen, like the, the video display on that thing was second to none that I have ever seen. It was so crystal clear and sharp. It had to have been like an 8k screen or something. It was just absolutely amazing. Was it glorious? It was a glorious screen. It's, Did you hear angels sing when football was on that screen? It, it almost was that good. It was just incredible. And uh, why am I talking about this? Well, because I said that there were 4K windows on the fire truck. Right. This was High a... definite HD windows. Right. Well, this was a mega HD football screen. It was really, really amazing. So... I guess if there are 4K windows on the uh, fire truck and he has supervision, he saw those hands coming out. Yeah. Um, what the hell's going on now? So everyone jumps out of the truck. We see Eugene unconscious in the back. So he's sleeping. He's not unconscious anymore. He's sleeping now. He's resting. You're right. Everyone else gets out. They hug. Glenn explains that Eugene lied. And yep. uh, that's nice. I'm glad the first thing they did is like, no, we're back because Eugene lied. There's no answers. You know, they could have dragged that out for three seasons the way some shows do it. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if they dropped that altogether now. Like, if that's that's it, that's the only explanation we ever get, and, and we never revisit that thing, I'll be a little bit disappointed. But I think that's enough. It's just like Eugene doesn't know anything. He lied. We were going on a fool's mission, so we're back. Yeah, but I think that, uh, you know, 
Eugene's still there, right? If you if Eugene was dead and left behind, I mostly expect it to be dropped. But I don't I don't think it should be dropped. I think Eugene's got to have some remorse, and I think it's got to come up again. Oh, just to that I agree with. I mean, Eugene definitely needs to have some remorse, but I don't know if we're going to really see them talk about it too much anymore. Like he may have to explain it to to Rick when they reconnect with them. Right. Um, but but I don't know if they're really going to talk about it. I, I could see them, you know, when when the season starts up again in February, sitting around a campfire somewhere going, well, Washington is, is you know, a no-go. What do we do now? And uh, then they, then somebody, you know, then they talk about how, well, maybe it's still a good place to go. We have right. this other thing in Virginia, but I don't know. I don't know if they're going to worry about it anymore. But I do hope Eugene is, you know, struggling with the fact that, he uh, he did lie and get everyone killed. Yeah, I think everybody should take turns slapping him for a half hour or so. <laughs> everyone like gets slap, 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 slap. Just go around in the circle, right? Everyone gets get one good slap to the face. <laughs> no, no, you just keep going around in the circle. Everybody gets multiple turns. It's just like you time limit the sucker, and you just go around and slap, 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 like a slapping machine for a half hour. Well, he won't feel too good after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll teach him a lesson, though. It sure will. Don't lie to us, or we'll slap you silly. We'll slap machine you for half an hour. Slap machine. It's gonna be my, it's gonna be my new band name. <laughs> that's a good one. Rage Against the Slap Machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Michonne then says that Beth is alive and in a hospital in Atlanta. All this information is exchanging brains here. It's exciting, and she's <laughs> and she's extremely excited that she's actually alive, which makes me think that she thought she was dead, which makes me wonder. Why didn't Daryl say that she wasn't dead? Well, here's the thing. Maggie does look very happy at this moment, and Tara says they'll go save her sister. Tara's always the one who's seen on the bright side. Um, but didn't Daryl did say she Beth is alive, or did Daryl not say that around the whole group, or maybe not to Maggie? We have to assume that there has been some downtime and that they fill each other in on what the hell's going on. No, I'm almost positive that Daryl reported to Maggie that... We saw, or sorry, I saw Beth get taken away in a car with a white cross on it. Yep. She's alive. I mean, he said she's alive. However, what he meant to say is the last time I saw her, she was alive. Right. So Maggie must believe there is at least a chance that Beth is alive. Right. At this point. And so she's very happy to hear that she is in a hospital and everyone's gone to get her back. I got the impression that Maggie thought she was dead, and now she's finding out she's alive, which kind of explains why she hadn't been concerned about her in the past, because she thought she was dead. But that doesn't make any sense, because why, who told her she was dead? Nobody told her she was, that Beth was dead. Well, that's the problem. I mean, she could easily make the assumption that she was dead, but Daryl said, I think she's alive, before he knew, you know, before he knew where she was. Yeah, so th this whole Beth Maggie thing doesn't make any sense to me. It's all like this this reaction doesn't make sense. The lack of concern prior to this doesn't make any sense. Uh, the only way it makes sense is if uh, Maggie thought that she was dead, but mm -hmm. she didn't. But there's nobody that would have told her that. Maybe she, in this you know crazy topsy turvy world, you in order to get through uh, an unbearable situation, you make shit up in your head. Mm -hmm. My sister is dead. Done. Yeah. That's the only way that you can deal with it. So I can, that's the only explanation I can think of. I can I'm totally with you except that except that Daryl mentioned that, you know, there's a chance 
that she was right. alive last time I saw her and I just couldn't find her because a car drove away with her and I didn't have a car. Well, maybe the car was being driven by death and now she's been, you know, it's the chariot to, to heaven. I, you know, I think we can all just agree that the Maggie sort of reaction to her missing slash dead slash alive sister has been botched a little bit. Like it, it has been, it, it went kind of both ways and I can't really, I can't really figure out what they were, were going for there. Um, but, uh, we cut back over to the hospital and one of the cops, oh, this is O'Donnell. I think this is the guy O'Donnell and he's berating that old bearded man whose name is Percy, right? The one that Beth gave strawberries to. Yeah. Percy strawberry guy. Right. And Beth is there watching and he kind of threatens her. But just at that moment, Don comes by and says, she needs Beth. We got lots of work to do and we go to commercial. So I guess they did their work during the commercial. I guess so. But. He kind of looked like Santa Claus, and you don't push Santa Claus over like that. It's true. He knocked him that, down. That's not a very nice thing to do to Santa Claus. That'll get you on the naughty list, like, right quick. So we used to have a character who looked like Santa Claus. His, his name was Herschel. Yeah. And we know what happened to him. And now we have Percy, who looks a little bit like Santa Claus, and he got pushed down. So The Walking Dead is not very friendly to Santa Claus-looking guys. Walking Dead hates Santa Claus. And Boy, little girls. That's that's harsh, man. That is harsh. Walking yeah. Dead's on the naughty list for sure. Yeah. All right. So after the commercial break, Beth is sitting at the elevator shaft, dangling her legs. And Don comes in, says Percy will be okay. And uh, they have this sort of conversation that we've heard a little bit before about, you know, this place being all that's left and... Beth says there's nothing else, you know, there's the things are never going to get better. Sounds like Don thinks they will still. And uh Don reminds Beth that this place saved her, she says. Right. And she then reveals that she hasn't told anybody that Beth killed Gorman or basically what happened in Don's office there with the jelly bean jar and the zombie. Right. And Beth specifically says I would never kill anybody. Right, which I'm pretty sure she's done more than once on this show. Who'd she kill? Well, I mean, she smashed the guy's head with uh, with the jelly beans and then left him to be eaten by a zombie. She's basically killing him. Well, I think that's more of, yeah, that's more of a self-defense thing. That's not murder. It's not, I you know, deliberately wanting to kill somebody. That's true. That's true. So maybe she hasn't actually murdered anybody is what you're saying? Yes. I would never kill anybody. Um, you know, you never say that in a television show because that's a surefire way to make sure that you have to do exactly the opposite of what you say. Like we don't kill the living, mm -hmm. what Rick says. Uh, yeah, not likely. <laughs> <laughs> not after you say that. No. Yeah. Um, well maybe, maybe Beth hasn't actually ever killed anyone. That's a good point. I don't think she has to this point. No, but I don't think Dawn sees it that way. I mean, Dawn says she's protecting Beth from the others by not telling them what happened in the office there. And I mean, Don really thinks that, that Beth is responsible for their deaths. Don is an, uh, is either out and out delusional or a master manipulator. Like she's manipulating every little thing from every angle. So she's either completely delusional or is manipulating things in order to maintain her power. I'm not even sure it's control because power is the ability to do work and control is the ability to limit work. And I think she's trying to control these people and not have power. I think Don is all over all over the place 
in this episode. Like, I think Dawn is more, um, what did you say first? Insane or something? Delusional. Yeah, I think Dawn is more delusional than she is um, uh, manipulative. manipulative. Yeah, manipulative in any way. Like she's. Well, I, I think you're right place. because manipulative would uh, imply kind of a, a, a sociopath. Like lack of emotions, mm-hmm. uh, but she definitely has emotions. So I think she's completely delusional. She's off her rocker. You no, know, I, I think so. I mean, she's trying to do one thing and doing it, and 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 but but not really knowing how to do it and so on. But she thinks what she's doing here is protecting Beth from the others um, by by not telling them what she did. But as she's saying this, O'Donnell he comes in and he's heard the whole conversation. So he basically threatens Don here, saying that he's going to go tell everyone. Uh, what kind of person they're working for, like someone who's, you know, all kinds of crazy like this. And he accuses her, her of being just like Hanson. So he's basically saying, you're losing the room. We are not respecting you anymore, and we're going to rise up and, and get rid of you. Yeah, that's a good surefire way. You know, if he's pushing her buttons specifically, like it sounds like he's pushing her buttons, uh, that's a surefire way to get yourself killed. Like, you just don't say anything and say, yeah, no problem, and then walk out the door and do whatever you're going to do. But by threatening her and, you know, pushing her buttons, trying to get a rise out of her, uh, you know, that's a dangerous thing to do mm-hmm. to, uh, to a delusional person with a firearm. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, he could have just—why did he even come in? Like, he could have just eavesdropped on the conversation and then walked away and gathered the troops and been like, this is what I heard. We got to do something. Well, he's also a bit of an idiot and is is extremely confident in that whatever he does, uh, there's no repercussions for. Like he pushed down Santa Claus for crying out loud, and nobody said anything. <laughs> That's right, right. So uh, he he's used to being able to say and do whatever he wants and having zero, you know, ramifications. Right. Well, uh, he, so, he's a little arrogant in that regard, maybe. Um, but he goes to leave, and Dawn raises her gun on him, and uh, she says that she was the only one who could go through with killing Hanson. So she took right. out the former leader, who was her mentor and friend, to take over the leadership role, which is interesting. So O'Donnell reminds Dawn, he's getting freaked out now, right? Um, yeah. Now, what was going on here? Did he tell, sorry, did, she, did Dawn tell O'Donnell to walk over to the um uh elevator shaft because she said to she said to Beth get out of the way Beth at this point I think and and the implication was that get out of the way because O'Donnell's going to come over there and we don't want you near him so yeah i well at the time two things happened one is at the time i thought that there was going to be a shootout so she didn't want Beth to be in the line of fire of his weapon mm-hmm. so that's what i maybe thought but um I don't think she explicitly said get over there, but she was waving her gun like move. Yeah. So what, she was. Uh, what was she, she was thinking? To... Was she was she going to try to subdue him somehow, or cuff him, or was she going to like kick him into the elevator shaft? Uh, I I do not know. Maybe get him away from the doors so he can't escape, so that she could control him. Yeah. And being a police officer, if you're trying to control somebody and get them to do what you want, and they have a firearm, the first thing you do is say put. Your weapons down. Lie down like, on the ground, whatever. Put your hands something. Above your Turn head. around. Put your hands in your head. Uh, take your weapon out of your holster and put it on the floor. Uh, she didn't do any of that. No, right? and she would have so, known. Yeah, she would have known. Interesting. Well, 
O'Donnell starts moving past her and he's reminding her that, you know, we were rookies together. You knew my wife. You were there when my kid was born. And uh, they basically end up in a fight because he lunges at her, knocks the gun out of her hand. It goes down the elevator shaft, which is a of course. waste of a good gun. And it's a pretty good fight scene, I thought. they These two battle it out pretty hard. And eventually O'Donnell gets Dawn in a chokehold up against the wall. He's he's lifted her off the ground by her neck, which is not really that good for anybody's oh, neck. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but Beth comes at him, distracts him by punching him in the shoulder, it looks like. And this moment, um, Dawn is able to chop the guy in the throat. So he staggers back, you know, right in the Adam's apple. That doesn't feel very good. And then she kicks him. And while he's staggering back, Beth pushes him down the open elevator shaft. So if that was the goal, mission accomplished. Yeah. And uh, Beth is now, uh, can no longer say, I've never killed anybody. Boy, it didn't take long, eh? <laughs> no, it does not take long. <laughs> she now officially has kicked someone down an elevator shaft. I mean, yep. if you're going to kill someone in the zombie apocalypse, it's a hell of a way to do it. Yeah. Um, we cut over to Beth in Carol's room. Carol is still unconscious, sleeping. She looks like she's sleeping. Unconscious, I don't know. She looks like she's very comfy. Okay, I don't want to get the terminology wrong anymore. Well, she's supposed to be unconscious. All right. But she looks like she's sleeping. Well, she's not conscious. <laughs> and uh, Don comes in, tells Beth it's okay to cry, pours, uh, pours some brown liquid for Beth, which is some mm, sort of whiskey. Delicious, delicious brown liquid. Yeah, delicious. And uh, they talk some more about covering for Beth and so on, and Beth says you were actually covering your own ass. Beth accuses her of having issues with Gorman and everybody else and that Don wanted them gone, but she didn't want to do the dirty work of, of killing them or getting rid of them. Um, so, you know, she was happy that they were killed. And uh, then Beth says she's going to get out just like Noah did. But uh, apparently everyone who gets out eventually comes back, according to Don, because nobody really wants to leave and they can't get far anyway. Right. Delusional. Yeah, she's she's nuts. And Dawn reveals that she knows Beth, uh, knows Carol. So, I mean, I guess that was pretty obvious because Beth hangs around there all the time. And she says that her and Carol could do something important at the hospital. They could stay. And the most important thing they've ever done, they could do here at this hospital. Ironing. And laundry. And darning socks. Sweeping and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's important, important work. And as the conversation finishes, Carol starts to wake up. We see her move her head and open her eyes in the background. Right. And yawn and ask for a cup of coffee. That's right. <laughs> she needs a little Time caffeine. Yeah. Hey, I drank my, well, I, I don't know if people know this, you do, but I don't know if listeners do, that I don't drink coffee and really just because I don't like coffee, so I never became a coffee drinker. But out in Vancouver, I went to Starbucks and I ordered a eggnog latte i thought you know i like i like eggnog i'm gonna try an eggnog latte that don't use that don't use the word coffee and eggnog latte in the same topic okay but is a latte a coffee does that count as coffee no it's not a coffee latte is like milk it's basically coffee flavored milk and eggnog i what Result i what i believe a latte is is actually like an espresso filled up with milk yeah right and then they add some eggnog to it it's coffee-flavored milk. It was 
terrible. I hated it. It was, I love eggnog, but I hated this drink. <laughs> well, there's there's like four things wrong with that drink that you just ordered. One. In my humble opinion. One, coffee. I don't like. No, well, coffee, coffee's fine. Uh, latte is dumb. Eggnog latte is dumb. Starbucks is Starbucks is dumb. Sorry if people like Starbucks. I don't go to Starbucks. It tastes like they burn everything. And you have to order a large because every word that they have for their sizes of coffee is large. Tall, grande, and venti. Yeah. It's all, it all means large. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't like Starbucks. Anyways, that's besides the point. I'm just saying I tried to drink some coffee-ish drink this week, and I didn't like it. So You had coffee before. Oh, you've yes, had of course co- I've had coffee before. Okay. But. You put a lot of milk and sugar in there, and you're fine. That's still coffee, in my opinion. No, I see. I disagree with that. If you have to if you have to augment the flavor that much, you don't really like the flavor. And that's what I tell my wife all the time. If you have to fill it with sugar and milk, you clearly don't really like the coffee flavor by itself. And if you don't like the coffee flavor, you shouldn't be drinking it. That's retarded because you have to drink. It's it's a caffeine delivery system. Who cares what it tastes like? But the the, the well, I don't eat things that I don't think taste good. And that doesn't yes, you that do. make sense to me. I, I don't necessarily believe that. <laughs> Anyways, that's a whole other thing. Let's move back into this episode. All right. Um, Tyrese and Sasha are now on a roof with rifles. Yeah. Tyrese explains. He tells the Martin story. So he explains to Sasha that, uh, you know, he didn't actually kill Martin. But he says he could have done it, and maybe he should have. But for some reason, he did not. Right. And so now we know that for sure. And then he tells a story about Sasha imitating him when they were little kids he says that maybe they're still the same and that's good. And I think what he's trying to say here is, you know, the apocalypse hasn't changed us that much. We're still the same people we were before all this happened. But clearly that's ridiculous because, (laughs) I mean, he's delusional now. He's delusional. Even Sasha says, nope, I'm totally different. Maybe you're the same, but I'm not. But I don't think Tyrese is the same either, even though we didn't know really what he was like before the apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, not, nobody's, yeah, you can't be the same. You, you can't. can't. It's, it's impossible after all this. Uh, all right, so a police car drives up down below, and Tyrese radios to Rick um, on the ground that they're coming. And the spider's in the web. That's right. So they drive up. Rick is down there in the parking lot. Rick introduces himself, which is nice. He doesn't just start talking at them. Right, and they ask him to put his weapon on the ground, which he does. See, that's what police officers do. You can't, you want to control somebody that has a firearm? You ask nicely to have them put their firearm on the ground. It works. It works. And then you check them for a wire. But you know, really, there's no point in doing that now. But in you know, in the current world, pre-zombie apocalypse, uh-huh. you put your weapon down, and then you check them for a wire. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, Rick puts his weapon down, puts his hands up. You know, he's being as friendly as he can. He is officer friendly after all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, up on the roof, now Daryl and Sasha have their rifles trained on the uh, police officers down there. Rick explains the trade to them, which we don't have to go into. They want to trade two for two. And uh, then a zombie comes around the corner and Sasha takes it out, or one of them does. I don't know if it's Sasha or Daryl, doesn't matter. Takes them out just as these cops ask where Rick's people are. <laughs> well, there was no uh, loud report from the uh, from a rifle going off, so I assumed it was uh, it was Sasha because she has a, a suppressor on her. Daryl didn't? 
No, Daryl didn't. Okay, so that must have been Not what that it I was. Know of. It sounded like a a silenced or suppressed shot. That's for sure. Um, but it was. It, I thought this was a, a a really cool scene. It it did remind me of a similar scene from the comics, but uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. You know, oh, it just, was great. Just as that thing comes around, where are your people? And he says, they're close. They're close. <laughs> See what they can do. I wouldn't yeah. uh, mess around. So we go to commercial break, and when we come back, we have everybody coming into the hospital. So I guess they've talked to Don, and they're going to execute this arrangement, this trade, this prisoner trade. And we see Beth getting dressed in her room, and she hides the small scissors that she has in her arm cast. She just slides mm. them up in there. What will she do with those? We will find out. Everybody meets in a hall. And everyone's weapons are holstered. They made a point to do that. They want to try to be as uh, accommodating with each other as they can. They explain that Lamson was killed by rotters. And uh, everyone seems to think that's a bummer, but okay. And then uh, they make the exchange one person at a time. Carol first, and then Beth. So now, everybody is on the right side. Everybody has who they think they need. And they should be able to just turn around and walk out of the place, right? Uh, yes. That's what they should be able to do. And that's what they, they start to do. But then Don says, wait a minute. I need Noah. Noah's right. mine. And uh, basically what happens here is Rick says that that's not part of the deal. And the deal is done. I think Rick has a point here. The deal is done. We had two for two. Noah can do whatever he wants. So Rick says, the boy wants to go home. And when things get a little more tense, uh, Noah says, don't worry. It's okay. I'll stay. It's fine. I don't want to cause any more problems here. Just escape again. He's a smart guy. He'll iron for a bit. He'll, you know, darn some socks. He'll mop a little bit. And then he'll just, uh, he'll bugger off in a week or so. That's probably what he's thinking. But he doesn't want anyone to get shot or killed here. So he's taking a hit for the team. And he's going to stay with Don and the gang. So Beth goes to hug him before they leave. She gives him a nice big long hug. And while they're hugging, Dawn says to both of them or to Noah or to Beth, I'm asking you that question. She says, I know, I knew you'd be back. I think uh, she's talking to, to Noah. To Noah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's just say every line at the same time for the rest of the podcast. Sure. <laughs> so she says this. To, to Noah, but the look on Beth's face is just absolute rage to me. Like her eyes widen and she's like, how dare you kind of thing want to keep him. Yeah. So she lets go of Noah, turns to Dawn and says, I get it now and stabs Dawn with the scissors that she had hiding in her cast. Stabs her right in the shoulder. Right in the shoulder. And at the same moment, Dawn's gun goes off and blows a hole through Beth's head. Right. So Beth is dead. There's no chance of surviving that. No, that's really not a survivable wound. I was not totally surprised to see this happen. What I was surprised about was that her gun was holstered. When did she yep. draw the weapon and have it in her hand? She, uh, from what I can tell, she is a world-class quick-draw artist that is able to... Uh, unholster her weapon, point it up, like not just, you know, pull it out of the holster and shoot, not even straight, but point it up and accurately shoot Beth through the uh, through the head. 
in less than a third of a second. That is insane. That is not what happened here. The problem is they made a point of showing us that everyone put their weapons away. And then within, you're right, a fraction of a second, the scissors go in, the gun goes off, and right the next moment, everything goes into slow motion. Everyone's, you know, eyes bug out because they can't believe what just happened. And Daryl takes a gun out, and before he kills Don, she mouths the words, I didn't mean to. Don right. accidentally shot Beth. Super fast. Super fast from a gun that she wasn't even holding. Now... We've picked a lot of nits lately with this show, and I and I feel bad about that. I've been trying, you know. I actually I've been uh, I've been holding off on my uh, my nitpicking on this episode. I've decided that I'm going to hold them off until the end, and uh, uh, I'm going to have a, a nitpicking minute at the end. I like it. So, but this this was one of them, but it came up in in the story anyway. All right. Well, yes, we can we can talk about it now. It's it doesn't it doesn't seem like. This oh, what I was gonna say is we've picked a lot of nits with this this uh, show in the, the first half of season five, and sometimes I want to try to avoid that just because sometimes there is no point. But things like this are starting to bother me more and more on the show, where you know a, a van goes off a bridge clearly upside down and then lands on its wheels, and yep. um, what was the what was the other one from this episode? I, I don't know. But we, we get to this, and now we have a gun that's in its holster but goes off straight up in the air. Like, I why are they doing this? Why aren't they coming up with ways to make slightly more, slightly more realistic scenarios or at least things where we don't go, oh, come on, right? Is right. it just us or is it the show? It's the show. See, th to get Beth shot in the head this quickly... Somebody, I figured somebody had uh, a rifle trained uh, from the background somewhere. Mm -hmm. It had to have been. Somebody with, you know, their finger on the trigger and a perfectly aimed shot at everybody's head just in case something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was, I was shocked, shocked to see that it was Dawn that had pulled that trigger that killed Beth. And, and, and then to, to say it was an accident too, right? Yeah, you don't. Uh, you don't fire a police handgun by accident. It takes this amount of force to pull that trigger as it does to lift a gallon of milk. Right, with one finger. With one finger. I like your your possible scenario there that they had like someone secret, you know, hiding in a doorway behind them as like a backup plan, right? Yeah. Why would they go in this building in the first place? Okay, well, we'll you talk. Know, about they had that. a perfectly legit situation outside with snipers on crossfires like bring those people out here where i'm in control of this complete neighbor anyway sorry no you're I'm right picking. that's a that's a whole other problem that i had with it too why would they go into the hospital in a in a narrow hallway and do it there it just doesn't make sense do it outdoors at least that's neutral ground for everybody right right um you know outside rick's gang he had two snipers on a roof as a backup plan and even if he'd said, let's do the trade here, I'll bring my snipers down just as a show of good faith, right? We don't want you to have any advantage. We'll all be standing here. Everything will be fine. Um, they don't do that, first of all. They go into this silly hallway, and then we get this crazy scene with the, you know, mystery gun that comes out of nowhere and shoots her. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is outside, Rick took precautions and put snipers on a roof. Inside, 
Dawn would have done the same thing. She would have had someone with a rifle maybe hiding in the background just in case. And I would have bought that. I would have totally been okay with that. And it happens to be someone with an itchy trigger figure. In fact, why couldn't it have been O'Donnell? Oh, he was dead. <laughs> but if he, <laughs> Well, I, that's why. I was thinking, he, you know, he had an altercation with her earlier, so he might have been there sort of as the one, and he would have had justification for killing Beth at that moment. Now, he's dead, so anyways, it could have been somebody else. It just doesn't make any sense that it was Don's gun shooting from her own hip right when it was holstered. Anyways, um, now Beth is dead, Don is dead, and just as everybody else draws their weapons and is about to shoot, the female cop, who was the prisoner, um, tells everyone to stand down. She says, don't. This is over. This is done. Too bad it went south, but we don't need to kill anyone else. And um, she offers Rick's group to stay, which I thought was interesting. I mean, it, it proved to me that she was really genuine in her sort of feeling that this could be a better place. And now that yep. Don's gone, this will be a better place. Well, yeah, maybe it uh, maybe it will be a better place now for sure. But Rick doesn't want to stay, and he makes the same counter offer. He says, anyone in the hospital want to come with us? Step forward now. But yep. uh, nobody moves because we don't need any more characters. We don't need another. Um, <laughs> uh, we don't need another busload of uh, of Woodburyans, right? <laughs> oh, great! Another paycheck. <laughs> That's right. Um, so we cut outside and we see the fire truck arriving at the hospital. That fire truck's running pretty good now, eh? They're driving that sucker all over the place. Oh yeah, man! They cleaned out that air vent, and it's it's a great fire truck. They all get out except for Eugene. Is Eugene awake? No, he's still asleep in the back, right? Ah, uh, they don't really. They don't show Eugene. I assume he's asleep in the back. Yep. They all get out. They approach the hospital. They kill a few zombies on the way, and uh, then Rick and everybody starts coming out the door. We see pretty much everybody, and finally Daryl carrying Beth's body, and Maggie sees them, and she goes from happiness that her sister's alive to absolute uh, grief, and she drops to the ground, screams, crying, and the end. We go to the credits. Yay. And now we have a post credit scene. Yes, we do. So we'll run through that real quick. It's Morgan again. We're sort of bookending the first half of this season where we saw him in the premiere, and now we're seeing him in the mid-season finale. He sees the Circle X on the tree. He comes to the school, and he examines the fire pit, and he sees the zombie still stuck under the broken door. So the first zombie that came through the door when, uh, when uh, Gabe was there was stuck mm-hmm. under the door, and that zombie is still there. And we don't know how much time has passed exactly, but he kills that zombie. Then he makes his way to the church, and they make another point of showing him uh, looking at the tree, the the line marking on the tree. Yep. He's definitely following these markings. And now the church doors are open, and all the walkers are dead or gone. Well, yeah, because once they moved the fire truck, the doors would have opened. They would have pushed the doors open and then, you know, meandered on their way. There you go. That's why they're gone. He goes in. He places some things on the altar. Um, and from what I could tell, there was a bullet, a rabbit's foot, and something called a goo-goo cluster. <laughs> it's like combos, right? Or some kind of treat. Like yeah. It's a bag of bag of treats. I guess. It's some sort, of, treats. some sort of food, but I've never heard of it, if it's a real thing. 
and he looks around, he laughs, and then he walks over and he finds the map. Remember the map that uh, Abe left for Rick? Yep. He finds that map on the floor, picks it up, and he sees on the back the note that Abe left him, and the note finishes with, the world's going to need Rick Grimes. So yep. now Morgan knows that he's on the trail of Rick Grimes, and he has a map basically showing where they're going. Yay, to Washington, which where they're not going. It's more or less on the same same. Uh, well, same we direction. don't know. We don't know where they're going to go now. No, but um, I. What did you think of this post credit scene? I thought it was good. I thought uh, it was a little overdue. I thought maybe we would see Morgan and uh, throughout. You know, maybe they would have a post credit scene every episode. That would have been awesome. Uh, but I'm glad to see uh, Morgan kicking around and surviving and basically. Uh, uh, you know, being a, a mean son of a bitch walking through the world, just walking the earth. You know what I liked about it? I really liked it. And I, yeah, sure, it might have been cool to see a little more of Morgan this season. But if we were only going to get two scenes, the first one in the first episode and this one, I think they did a, f a great job here of kind of telling just just enough about what Morgan's been doing and what's going on. And I think the whole map thing the map totally made sense when Abraham gave it to Rick. Right. You know, them leaving on their own, you know, that aside, maybe that made sense, maybe it didn't. But the fact that they were leaving, he's like, look, you catch up with us. Here's where we're going. This is the map. Totally made sense. And then you kind of forget about that map because all this other stuff is happening. And then right at the end, the map comes back and the map is what... Um, he finds and connects the two together with the name Rick Grimes. I think right. that is really, really good storytelling. It is. You know? That's good stuff. It's something that's dropped in early that you don't think too much about. But boy, is it no accident that Rick Grimes' name was written on that map. And then Morgan finds it after we've almost forgotten that Morgan is doing anything, right? It's eight episodes later. You're not thinking about Morgan anymore. And then there he is. And oh, there's the map. And... You know, the audience gets to see that reveal. The audience gets to put two and two together and think, oh, my God, now he knows Rick Grimes is nearby. And where's it going to go from here? I just think that's right. really, really good storytelling in an eight-episode eight stretch where we had some kind of weak storytelling. So true. it made me happy, and I liked it. Good. I'm glad. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, I don't want to ramble on too much, but on the other hand... I do feel like it gives us a little bit of a spoiler almost for the second half of season five. If we Why? now, because now we know that Morgan is going to follow this map. We know for sure that he's going to follow the map and he's going to end up going to Virginia or Washington or wherever. So now we know that our other characters are going to be doing that as well. Whereas had he not found the map, I don't think I would have had any idea what was what would happen now? We'd be totally in uncharted territory. Well, maybe Morgan's not going to show up till season six. You know, maybe we'll see him once, maybe twice more, and we don't know really what's going to happen. No. I mean, you're no, we do. I sorry, I was saying no, we don't know exactly. We don't have any of the details, but I think it, had that not had that scene not been there, I don't think I would have even said definitively that the characters are going to go for Washington. In fact, I might have even thought, well, it was a lie, so maybe they won't do that at all anymore. Maybe that is co totally out the window now. But the fact that we saw Morgan pick up the map, and it's a map to Washington, you have to assume that he's going to follow it. And 
I think you can make the assumption that these he's going to find them at some point, and therefore our other characters are going to continue on the mission as well. Right. I just I don't necessarily believe that the map points to where they're going to go. I mean, I do believe that Morgan's going to meet up with everybody, but I'm not sure that it's it's going to they're going to everybody's going to head to Washington or in that direction. Hmm. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I don't think that the map wouldn't have played such an important part. I don't think if if they weren't ultimately going to follow it. Right. It may take some time, you know, and it may, it may they may have a lot of detours on the way, but we kind of know they're going to go north now. Anyways, there's there's other things that would indicate that too, like Noah's family in Virginia too. So I I still think the the Morgan scene in this episode was absolutely worth it and uh, really really good, and I wouldn't trade it for for anything. Well, I'm sure you would, but you know it was good. Maybe a million dollars. <laughs> I traded for a lot less than that. We'll if I didn't see out. Morgan and somebody gave me five thousand dollars, I think I'd take it. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> For forty nine ninety nine though, no way. <laughs> yeah, for fifty bucks. Oh, I don't know, fifty bucks. It's fifty right. bucks. So this was the mid season finale, Jason. Um, anything else you want to say about it before we move on? Um, did you uh, like it? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce a new segment here. I want to call the nitpick minute. Okay, so, sounds good. We'll need a bumper for that. Everyone, yeah. Out there so listening. yeah, this is a new segment, so that I, I'm gonna save all my nitpicking to the end. And I'm going to keep it short. So I've only got three that we didn't talk about already. One is when the zombies broke through the glass doors at the school when uh, when the preacher was there. Uh, when was the last time you were at a school that the uh, the doors and windows didn't have safety glass with like wire in uh, in the glass so that it wouldn't break and shatter? I don't think that did. exists. They all have safety glass. Yeah, this school didn't, by the way. And then uh, when Don was fighting O'Donnell, uh, if you uh, if you watch the scene, uh, it's finger on trigger, finger finger away from trigger, finger on trigger, finger away from trigger. Every scene kind of cut in between. Okay. And the uh, the third one is uh, during the standoff when they were trading the uh, the prisoners. Uh, once a gun goes off in a standoff, all the guns go off in a standoff. So I thought it was a little bit surprising that uh, it didn't turn into a bloodbath because. You know, tensions are high. Everybody's got firearms. As yeah. soon as the firearm goes off, you just start shooting. You know what I would have hated about that, though, and I'm glad they didn't do it, is that if there was a giant shootout there, you you know that all the hospital people would have been killed and all oh, yeah. of our people would have survived. They never would have been able to get away with it, which is why they went the way they did. Mm-hmm. But it's just it didn't make any sense to me because, well, you know, first of all, you don't get yourself in that situation where everybody's in a damn hallway mm-hmm. with weapons. Uh, uh, so I just think that uh, every time you're in a standoff and somebody starts shooting, everybody starts shooting. You mm-hmm. just start blasting away and you get down on one knee and hopefully you don't uh, you don't die. We saw that in, uh, uh, what was the name of that movie? Clint Eastwood movie? He's a cowboy. Well, um, the Unforgiven. 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 It happened in Unforgiven, and well, that was awesome. Yes, things like that happen in um, other formats of The Walking Dead, too. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm talking about video games. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are occasional standoffs in, in The Walking Dead video game where if someone ends up shooting, everyone ends up shooting because yeah. that's probably what would happen. Yeah, sorry, spoiler for uh, Unforgiven there. Yeah, oh well. It's fine. What's, what's the what's the time limit for a spoiler? Is I think it's like two weeks or something, right? I don't know. Unforgiven's been out for a lot longer than that. Though, yeah. Okay. So. so as long as it's been it's more than two weeks, so I think you're good. Um, 
That's yeah. it for the nitpick minute. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, overall, I thought this episode had some good stuff and some bad stuff. And unfortunately, yep. most of the the not-so-good stuff came closer toward the end. Um, bad decisions by people. Um, but I know, I mean, as a listener of ours has pointed out before, sometimes smart people make bad decisions, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But when it's repeated, then it may start to become a problem. But let me ask you this question. What sure. was Beth trying to do when she stabbed frickin' Dawn? She didn't stab her to kill her. She stabbed tiny little scissors into her shoulder. That is not yeah. going to kill anybody. She doesn't know that. Yes, she does. She's not a doctor. Yeah, and she doesn't kill people either, remember? So, you stab them in the neck. If you're going to take little tiny scissors and you want to hurt somebody, you stab them either in the neck or you stab them in the groin. <laughs> yeah, that no, not, not, you don't go for the, for the, you know, the genitals you go for the the huge artery that's in your inner thigh right i i get it <laughs> but if you're gonna stab someone in the dick i mean that's gonna incapacitate them <laughs> well it, it upset me i can tell you that much <laughs> yeah that's you know sure. may or may not incapacitate me as much as they would like but i'm i sure as hell would be mad i sure am not going to be fighting back very much <laughs> but what was she trying like was beth going for her neck and missed no uh, so, so what was Beth trying to do? And I mean, when she was hugging Noah, was her intention always to stab Don or was it Don's comment about, I knew you'd come back? I, I think it was a rash decision based on that comment. I don't think she had a plan. I don't think she was going to do anything. I think she, she stuffed the scissors into her cast just as, uh, you know, this is my only option for a defense if I need it. Right, and I I think it was a a, a rash spur of the moment decision to to go all stabby, uh, but she did it. She botched it. Well, and she didn't. You know, if you're gonna stab somebody, you do not stab a world class quick draw artist because uh, they'll shoot you in the head. Yes, they will. Um, so this was all a giant accident. Then, like everything was fine. I mean, I guess they weren't happy about having to leave Noah there but they could have and and just moved on. I don't know. It The whole thing seemed just a little uh, staged. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. they, they needed or they wanted Beth to die, the show, the writers, so they needed a logical way to do it. And this didn't really strike me as logical, really. So it felt a little forced to you? It felt forced. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It did. It felt forced. I mean, it was still emotional, and I'm I'm really sad to see Emily Kinney's character gone because I liked her, and I always liked Beth, and she was a fun person to talk to and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, but I just if someone's gonna die, it should be in a more organic way. Herschel's death was was perfect. You know, it was. What do you mean? It wasn't perfect. Don't it, give me that. It served. He was the, had to been killed. Like uh, I don't know. It served the story, is what I'm saying. It's like one character wanted something, and this character, the governor, thought that he could get what he wanted by killing this man and yeah. manipulating the situation and so on. You know, this was just a weird spur of the moment thing that could have been totally avoided. Now, I guess you can chalk it up to you know, Beth losing her cool and doing something she shouldn't have done, which is totally realistic. You know, that happens to people all the time. Yeah. But it felt forced to me. And it's too bad that 
Beth, a good character, had to go out like that. Yeah. You know? Um, otherwise, though, in terms of a mid-season finale, it was okay. I still think this... Uh, um, I, I, I feel like this half of the season five petered out a little bit. You know, it never really recovered from the the slowness of those three episodes in the middle. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, maybe we were just riding such a high from the first episode or the first couple of episodes that no matter what they did here felt like a bit of a, bit of a letdown. Um, yeah. But I will say this to me, this was not as much of a letdown as the end of season three, which was a season finale that I didn't like at all. Which one was that? Um, the governor's failed attempt on, oh, right. on the prison. That was bad. This so, was no, uh, this was no Sophia coming out of the barn mid-season finale. That was a good mid-season finale. That's probably the best one they did, they've done. Maybe I, next time. I think so. <laughs> Maybe next time. We always have season six. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, anyways, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens when it comes back in February. We got to have three months off now. And, um, February, what do we know yet? Yeah, we do. I can't remember what it is though. Sometime in the second half of February. Cool. That's when my birthday is. It is. It's exciting. Maybe your birthday will be on a Monday or a Sunday and we'll get or to Wednesday. record on your birthday day. I'm going to look that up a Monday or a Wednesday. In fact, I think my birthday is on a Monday this year, so that'll be fun, but nobody cares about that. <laughs> right. Your now. birthday is on a Monday. I know. Uh, all righty. Mine's on a Wednesday. That works out. Hey, hooray. <laughs> All right, uh, that's the mid-season finale, everybody. I think out of all of this, I am most excited about Morgan. Oh, of course. You know? Oh my God, yeah. It's like leave the audience wanting more, and that's what and, they're doing with Morgan, you know? And Sasha being a sniper. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool, too. That's pretty cool. It is. Can you imagine how pissed I'm going to be if they come back and for episode number nine and Maggie is totally over her sister and never mentions her again. <laughs> oh, that's totally going to happen. Because oh, now she is dead. You know, the last time when she thought she was dead, everything was fine. But now she is dead. Oh. Uh, so she's going to forget about her. Or she's going to cut off uh, uh, Beth's foot and carry that around. Or her ear. Maybe she'll cut off her ear and create her own necklace of family ears. Maybe she's got a secret necklace of family ears that she has going for a couple of years now. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she does, but, uh, I just think they need to, you know, they, they screwed all that up this whole first eight episodes. Now they at least need to show Maggie mourning. Good God. I mean, now she knows for sure that she's dead. So, right. All righty. Um, let's, uh, let's move into the next segment here, which is this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. We've got our holy crap, did you see that moments for this episode? And I'm sure there will be some more coming in or uh, just more available. So we will do more on Wednesday when we do some more feedback. But right now, this first one is Katie from uh, the UK. And she says, holy crap, another member of the Green family got killed off in a mid-season finale. There's only one more Green left. Maggie better watch her back. You know what they say. Uh, you know what they all say, that karma comes back to bite you in the ass eventually. You shouldn't have forgotten about Beth, Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you think your sister's dead. She dies. She dies. And now yeah. you feel bad about it for real. All right. So next we have uh, Chad from Madison, Wisconsin. 
I guess everyone who wanted Beth dead got their wish, uh, but it caught me off guard. I thought she would start the firefight trying to stab the doctor or Don, uh, but didn't think she would catch an immediate bullet to the head. Yep, neither did we, Chad. Neither did we. <laughs> yeah. Gemma, in teary, wet wails, just wiping the tears from my eyes, can't stop crying. I did not see this coming. I really thought it would be Carol, terribly sad. My holy crap was Daryl shooting Dawn in the head for Beth and him carrying her body out to Maggie. This, for me, topped Sophia walking out of the barn for sadness. I'm devastated. Oh, so maybe it was as good as that. You know, Daryl sort of breaking down and crying and then Maggie falling to the ground. Sure, it was devastating. It was sad. It was very emotional. But it it was sad. It wasn't a shocker, right? It's not like when, when Sophia came out of the barn, that was a shocker and it was sad. So for me, it had more of a gut punch to it than this did. In this case, I was just kind of sad that Beth died and then sad that everyone else was sad. <laughs> right. Right? I was sad You're for You're meta, meta-sad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Next, we have uh, Michael from London. Yes. Maggie, Maggie finally acknowledged Beth. Yes. Still won't win Sister of the Year award. That's a lot of S's. <laughs> it was a lot of S's. <laughs> Um, Heather in Grand Rapids says, after a season of Daryl being the voice of reason, there was no hesitation when he shot Dawn. No, he shot her, uh, he shot, uh, she shot Daryl's little sister or adopted little sister. Yeah. And he just took I mean, out they his... burned a house together. They did. That's they bo- traveled bonding. together. Everything. He golfed a zombie's head right into her chest. Remember? Yep. <laughs> or at least the gore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. No, he didn't hesitate at all. He took out that gun and just shot her right square in the forehead. Yep. All right, so next we have Mark on what's left of the real Jersey Shore. For the better part of the first half of Season 5, the momentum has been building regarding the mystery of Beth's disappearance. The last several episodes featured different groups of survivors converging on the mid-season finale. The moment of truth finally arrived last night when a heroic act of rage and desperation Beth stabbed Dawn with a tiny pair of manicure scissors. That's it? Was she attempting to fatally sever Dawn's bra strap? (laughs) That's maybe what she did in the end. Um, It sure looked like the uh, bra strap kind of area on her uh, upper chest. So, yeah, I think she was going for the bra strap. I don't know. Take that discomfort. How would you know? Are your bras uncomfortable? No, if the bra strap kind of one bra strap breaks, I'm sure it's quite uncomfortable oh. after a couple of hours. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, I thought you meant wearing one was uncomfortable and I was asking you how you knew. Anyways. <laughs> no, no, just severing the bra strap might be uncomfortable after a while. It probably would be. Probably immediately. Uh, but yes, I think, you know, we've kind of gone over that. It was a little anticlimactic. That's all that happened. Not sure what Beth was doing, except for maybe having a uh, moment of rage that she acted on. So, right. Um, okay. Uh, Jeppe Svan from... Abenra, Denmark. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that pronunciation. But uh, they write, My holy crap moment from episode 8 was Michonne axe chopping and ninja fighting with baby Judith on her back. Towards the, ep- towards the beginning, where uh, Gabriel led the walkers to the church, Michonne fights and maneuvers around with a curiously stiff Judith on her back. Looks a little fishy. <laughs> Definitely stiff um, doll, Judith. But that's the same thing I was saying. Like, you don't swing an axe full bore or a, a sword, for that matter, with a baby on your back. It's just, I mean, I guess in a pinch she had to, but still. Yeah. 
you got to do what you got to do. I mean, if it's if survival is uh, on the line, you know, some you got to take a few knocks. And if you if, if you got to have a baby with you in that situation, maybe the baby's got to take a few knocks. I hope not. Well, it, it's not ideal. I I'll admit that. Yeah. All right, we have an email from uh, Matt from Clementon, New Jersey. I believe in the purity of the holy craps, and I believe they should not be obvious moments like Beth being shot. So uh, with that said, I have two moments that I enjoyed. One, we have a second lefty on the team. Tyrese was the first lefty shooter, shooter, at least I believe he was the first. I noticed in this episode that Abraham is as well. I'm not sure why I didn't notice before, but when they showed up to the hospital, he was only... He was the only lefty in this group, in his group. Uh, Second, Maggie's reaction to seeing uh, Beth's corpse was very similar to the reaction Rick had when he found out Lori died. Uh, As a nice touch, it was Maggie who had delivered the bad news to Rick back in season three. Matt from Clementon, New Jersey, I agree with you. The purity of the holy crap is (laughs) important. It is. And the original idea was, yeah, little things that stand out to you and... And, uh, you know, we kind of accept everything these days, which is fine. You can find anything, um, holy crap worthy, but I like both of these quite a bit. We have a mm-hmm. lefty and especially the second one, um, Maggie falling to the ground was just like Rick did. And it never occurred to me that Maggie was the one coming out of the building, carrying baby Judith in her arms when Rick finds out the news. And, and this scene was actually very similar. With, with Daryl mm-hmm. coming out, carrying, I mean, not, you know, not a baby, but carrying little sister in his arms. It was, uh, yeah. that's really well done now that you point that out. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Dave in Coventry, UK writes, my holy crap, did you see that was Rick turning running cop into flying cop. Then <laughs> instead of congratulating him on his landing, executing him, brutal. <laughs> that was pretty brutal. He just hit him with that car and shot him forward. All right, we have an email from Michael in Ozark, Missouri. Holy crap, no feedback episode this week. I really missed it. Hope you had a good trip. Thank you, Michael. I did, but I missed the I missed podcasting too. My second holy crap is Rick playing bumper pool with the officer who could not stop, who did not stop running. This guy bounced like a rubber ball. How can re sorry? How can Rick be this badass out by himself and then let Daryl and Tyrese talk about it, just killing everybody at the hospital? He could have saved Beth for crying out loud. You know, it's not a terrible point. Um, but I think when Rick unchecked is becoming a bit of a crazy murdering type guy, and it's yeah. it's Daryl and Tyrese that are keeping him in check a little bit. Please, please don't kill everybody. Yeah, that's basically what they're saying. Until we have to. Um, eventually, they you always have to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Nail in London, UK writes, aside from the obvious holy crap at the end that made me tear up, my holy crap is the amount of crotch punches that guy took in the fight scene. <laughs> Officer Don was doing a number on him, yet he didn't even flinch. He has balls of steel. <laughs> had balls of steel. He did he's, have them, yes. Had. Yeah, he's dead now, but... Um, I'd like to just point something out here. Usually I gather all the feedback and then we read it this week. Since I was on the airplane, you gathered all these and I haven't read any of them before right now. And it's fun. I kind of like this. Usually I pre-screen everything, put it on there, but you did that job this week. So it's fun to read stuff like uh, the amount of crotch punches that guy took. (laughs) and balls. (laughs) No screening. There's no screening. I just put them up here. 
Yeah, no, that's good. I well, okay. Who knows what's going to happen? Who really knows? But you know what? I noticed that too. He gets need in the in the groin once or twice during that fight. Like he yeah. really would have been feeling that. I think. Yeah, I kind of. I think if you're in a, a fight for your life, you got a lot of adrenaline going, and all that kind of uh, uh, really awful, hurty stuff like a bunch of knees to the groin. I, I think you kind of put that behind you for a little while. You just kind of go, I'll worry about that pain uh, once I have a chance. Right. I mean, you've been kicked in the balls, punched in the face, kneed in the stomach. I mean, you're probably hurting all over. So you're right. You're like, let's get out of this yeah. fight and then I'll worry about everything I'm feeling. Right. So I think there's a there's a big difference. Like this is a bit of an aside, but I think there's a big difference between fighting for your life like in a fight where one of you is going to die and like that, uh, what's that sport where people fight in an octagon? Ultimate fighting, UFC. Ultimate fighting. So, you know, you go in there, you have a reasonable assumption that you're going to get out of there alive. So you're not in a fight for your life. Yes, you're fighting. Yes, it's a knockdown, drag out, kind of punch them in the balls kind of place, even though I think that's no longer allowed. It's probably not allowed, yeah. Well, it used to be. Really? Yeah, it used to be just fine. I think they out. I think that's the one rule that they put in place. Okay, you got to leave the testicles alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good rule, generally. <laughs> just yeah, but uh, there's a big difference between that and fighting for your life. And I think if you're you're fighting for your life and you know that your life is on the line, I think you can uh, you can put aside severely painful things right. for a little while. Right. Okay. I'm just gonna you know reject that pain outright and deal with it later. However, it's still funny to see people get hit in the balls. Well, of course. It's classic comedy. It's classic. All right, so next we have Brian in Texas. He writes, I had two coli... Uh, sorry, I have two coli... <laughs> I had two holy crap moments, but uh, the second one was a bit long, so I only included the first one here. The camera angles used in the episode coda, especially in the hospital scene, were very Twilight Zone-esque. Chris, you can attest to that. You're a big fan of the Twilight Zone. Huh. The way the episode was shot, you knew that it was a bad omen. You knew Beth or Carol were primed to be killed off. When it came and how it came still caught you off guard. You know, that's an interesting point. That didn't really occur to me while I was watching it, but you're right. I'm a huge original Twilight Zone fan. Um, but uh, that's cool. That's a really cool point there that, that, you know, they shot it in such a way to to make it feel sort of foreboding and and just bad and unfriendly which is really cool. Well yeah cuz the uh the floors were not level like all the like everything was on an angle so yeah. that it was very much like uh, the original Batman when they would be in the Joker's lair or whatnot. Yeah. But yeah you know everything was on an angle. Yeah no and that's that's really cool. Very good nice call uh, there Brian. Laura from Ohio writes my holy crap is that I watched the Grady bunch from the beginning to the resolution and I still can't quite get why this storyline except why this storyline except as a platform to kill off Beth. Okay, yes, the themes have been to define what kind of person or group you are going to be, i.e. cannibal versus humanitarian, selfless versus selfish, negotiating versus violent domination, and yes, Gradyville had a shot at all of those, but I'm still confused. On the bright side, it was a good holy crap to hear Maggie talking about Beth just before she died. <laughs> yeah. My sister's alive? Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm finally going to say something, and damn it. <laughs> All right. So uh, next we have Chris from the UK. 
Want to get one in quick. Holy crap, did you see Maggie's reaction to Michonne telling her that Beth was definitely alive? I know a lot of people will find it odd given her apparent lack of concern up till now. My holy crap was that I, uh, that I took it that Maggie really thought she was dead. She didn't go looking for her because she believed that she was actually dead. Uh, maybe that was easier for her than allowing herself to feel hope. And that's what you were saying earlier. I'm on board with that. But we needed... We needed some, as an audience, some reassurance or some indicator that that's how Maggie was feeling. You know what? I'm going to put it away. I'm going to put it in a box and stick it in the back corner of my brain because she's dead. And if I worry about it, I'm not going to be an effective survivor myself. Something like that, right? But I don't feel that we got that. And instead, we got the opposite. We got Daryl saying, I saw her. I think she's alive. And, And Maggie didn't react. And that was the biggest problem. Yeah. Right? Yep. All right, Paul in England writes, holy crap, did you see the charred remains of Bob's infected leg at the termites campsite? If Father Gabriel's wish was to confirm to himself that they really were cannibals worthy of slaughter, then I was half expecting him to find a copy of How to Cook 40 Humans among those discarded (laughs) books. That's the second Twilight Zone uh, reference in one uh, holy crap segment. That's a Simpsons reference. Or was the Simpsons reference a Twilight Zone reference Sorry, that I didn't get? The Simpsons reference was a Twilight Zone reference, yeah. Was it? I see, I didn't get that part. I thought this was a Simpsons reference. This might have been a Simpsons reference, but the Simpsons reference was a Twilight Zone reference? Yeah, I think so. Uh, now you have me doubting myself, but I'm pretty sure it was. That's cool. To Serve Man was the Twilight Zone episode. To Serve Man, you could see how that would be taken both ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that's great. <laughs> wow, there you go. Good work, you people. <laughs> All right, so a love from Emily in New Zealand X. Ooh. Was this one? Hi, guys. That's just a, writing that's in a kiss, with, Jason. She kissed That's you. a kiss. Oh, that's an oh, Okay, so XOXO, like a kiss and a hug. Hi, guys. Just writing in with one of my holy crap, did you see that moments of this week's episode? Did you see the little baby Judith being swung around like a bag of potatoes on Michonne's back during the dramatic walker scene at the church? Yes, I'm I waving my in- arms. <laughs> I spent that entire scene scared that she was going to fall out and splatter on the floor. And babies, I bet, have some very soft heads in this world. They have soft heads in the real world. In real God. life, yeah. <laughs> and so I suppose, to a lesser extent, Maggie finally giving a crap about the allegedly oh-so-loved Beth and also count as a holy crap moment, too. Yes, for sure. I totally agree. 100% agree, Emily, in New Zealand, that I was just, I wasn't worried about baby Judith falling out. But you know what? That's totally valid. When you have like a makeshift baby carrier on your back, you don't know how sturdy that is. Like she could, it could just untie and she falls out on the floor. It's like a tiny little Yoda. Yeah, a tiny. Hanging little... onto Luke's back when he's learning in the learning the force. Oh, exactly. There were so many things wrong with that. There's just an needlessly endangering the baby, and that's Yoda's at least a Jedi master and could probably handle himself if uh, Luke gets a little jumpy. If that's right, and if he if Yoda falls out, he. Nothing bad is going to happen. He's going to probably float back down to the ground like a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> but baby Yoda Judith, balloon. Baby Judith, not so much. Yeah. Uh, Angie from Birmingham, finally. Oh, not finally. Angie from Birmingham is next. There's a whole other page. Nice, man. She writes, uh, you really don't mess with Rick. He pulled a Martinez. Boom with the car. Straight from the comic, even to the broken back line. Really? I don't remember that from the comic. Me neither do I. Anyways, sorry about that comic spoiler there that I read without <laughs> without knowing it, but uh, I blame Angie. No, that's not true. I don't really blame Angie. It's my fault. I should have read ahead, but uh, cool. Good one. Um, 
She goes on, that execution was stone cold. Forget Daryl being the show's badass. He's nowhere near Rick's level. That one walker at the church chasing Gabriel must have bunked out for his lessons at walker school. He was just walking. And Chris, that's why Rick left Michonne behind. Oh, so she could right. be there to protect them. Yep. Uh, here we go. Holy motherfucking <laughs> Christ. All of all that's good and holy. I know Beth's death was coming. I did not expect that. Wow. Lastly, Andrew Lincoln. He is by far the power force of this show. Those eyes. When Beth died, it looked like someone had ripped out his soul and stomped all over it. <laughs> Sorry for the swears. <laughs> okay, I do blame Angie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next we have Jessica from Long Island, New York. Holy crap, did you see that? They spent time developing a minor character just so that we would feel emotionally invested when they killed her off. I understand why the writers decided to off Beth in such a brutal way, but ultimately I found her death forced, done more for shock than for story. Uh, expected more from the season, which despite a few missteps, missteps have been pretty good. So has been pretty good. Yeah, it seems like uh, seems like we're not the only people who ha are having these these sort of feelings about how Beth was offed. Yep. Uh, Felipe from Manila, Philippines. My holy crap has to be Maggie, who finally recognizes she still has a sister. Hooray! All this time after the destruction of the prison mid-season four, she finally worries about Beth's whereabouts, maybe a little too late. I knew as soon as Michonne mentioned Maggie about Beth, I was like, yeah, Beth has going to be the death for the mid-season finale. I never once thought, watching the episode for the first time, thinking any of the other characters are going to die, especially Carol, when people were speculating her death due to the huge amount of character stories this season half. Hmm. Yep, not Carol. But uh, you know what? She could die at any time. You never know. That's true. So next we have Jeremy Glover in Waco, Texas. Holy crap. Uh, what was Beth thinking when she stabbed Don? Did she consider that her actions would put everyone she loved at risk and provide no solution to the current problem? I get, get that she was emotional and upset with Noah sacrificing himself, himself uh, in the events of the hospital, but her scissor prick just seemed so unnecessary. Yeah, I think, you know, if it was just a unthinking act of rage at that moment because she because Don was forcing her new boyfriend to stay, right, and, and not go with them, I think yep. that's sort of what, what prompted it. Yep. Uh, Gala from the internet writes, Holy fuck, Beth. <laughs> there was you missed all of the exclamation points in that. <laughs> all right, um, I'll do better next time. I get all the all sweary right. ones this week. That's fun. Sorry. Holy yeah. fuck, Beth. Is that better? There you go. All right. All right. So next we have uh, Jagger. Jagger from uh, from the internet, or uh, in his tagline, there can be only some. All right. It's fun. <laughs> uh, when Rick was waiting for the APD car to pull up, there was a shot of a rag of some sort tied to a car antenna. This reminded me of the flags that are positioned downrange on an outdoor shooting range to let the shooters know the wind direction and speed, thus allowing to thus allowing them to adjust their con, just for Kentucky windage. A nice touch, I thought. Yeah, so that was it, it looked like a uh, like a plastic bag on an antenna or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Is there any other explanation for that? Like, what, no, what they was it and for? they took a, a very specific shot of that bag blowing around in that at that. Uh, uh, that antenna and no, it's, it's for windage. It's for determining, 
you know, what, what direction and what speed the wind is going so you can adjust your scope to shoot more accurately. Okay, so they put it there for Sasha and, and Daryl on the roof. I'm not sure about that. I think it was uh, it was meant to tell us that that's, you know, making uh, the long-range shot more accurate, but I'm not sure if they put it there or whether it was already there. Well, I mean, if that's the if that's the reason for having something there, and they did make a point of showing the audience, I just thought it was kind of like a, I don't know, a mood setting shot where it's just like it's a piece of garbage that's blown and gotten stuck on an, stuck on an antenna. But if it was intentional, because you know, if it's for a shooting range and we had people with guns and they were up on a roof about to snipe, it makes sense that they would have put that there to indicate or show them how to get more accurate shots. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, could be. It's good stuff. And and just lastly, we had uh, there was a couple of holy craps that people put in about the uh, the Facebook page. So the uh, the Walking Dead Facebook page. As soon as the episode aired, they posted an R.I.P. Beth right after, and a couple of people uh, uh, who uh, who was it? Jamie from Newcastle, Australia, was very disappointed because she didn't get the episode until after seeing that picture. Mm-hmm. And same with J- uh, James in Pittsburgh, PA. I think. Uh, Australia didn't, the episode didn't air yet because they're in a way different time zone. Uh, that was, that was bad. But uh, James in Pittsburgh, he waited to the next day to watch the episode, but mm-hmm. still looked at the Facebook page. So some people were uh, very upset with, uh, with AMC for that. It was a big uh, F up on their part. The face, they posted that immediately after the East Coast broadcast. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. So what were they thinking? It was an accident. It was, I mean, some, some intern or, you know, if it was probably a scheduled post that just got clicked on at the wrong time. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people were bummed out about that. I was on the West Coast last night when the show was on, and I was... Um, if you're paying attention, folks, you may have noticed that I, up on our Facebook page, right after the East Coast broadcast of the show, there's always a post saying, it's done, what did you think? And it's just a post. It provides people a forum to, you know, chat a little bit about what it's what's going on. That post goes up whether I've seen the episode or not. So sometimes <laughs> I put that up there and then immediately get off the internet for a while because I know spoilers are going to come. So since I was out on the West Coast last night, I posted that and then didn't look again uh, to make sure I didn't spoil myself. So I'm lucky that I didn't do that because I would have seen that Walking Dead thing come up for sure. Yeah. I generally don't watch the uh, watch the episode until Monday. Uh, I don't watch it on Sunday nights. I watch it usually Monday first thing, like early early Monday morning. And generally, I just avoid the internet altogether until I watch the episode. Like I don't go on. I rarely go on Facebook to begin with, but I'm on Reddit all the time. Mm-hmm. So I. I really try and avoid Reddit, even though Reddit's generally these days pretty good about putting in spoiler warnings for any of their posts, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm on Facebook all the time, and uh, especially on our page on Facebook, right? So I we have a Facebook page, <laughs> unbelievable, <laughs> unfreaking believable. I gotta go there and see what's going on. Over yeah, there. there's once <laughs> every now and then it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, the the Walking Dead account totally spoiled the episode for everybody except those on the East Coast who had just finished watching it. So it was kind of a bummer. They pulled it down, but then they put it back up later on. So. Uh, yeah, I could see how that would upset some people a little bit. Yep. All righty, that's going to do it for this extra fat long podcast. 
if um, you want to get in touch with us, please do give us a call on the toll-free number at one 483 9662 Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or the Facebook page, which Jason has just discovered, at <laughs> facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. I'm going to like this page. Just for fun. You're amazing. <laughs> uh, send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We didn't do a break this episode, but that's okay. Please continue to use our Amazon links. Um, go to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and choose the country that's most appropriate to your location. There's Canada, the U.S., France, the U.K., Germany, Spain, and I think that's it. But uh, there should be a choice there, I hope, that works for you. Uh, when you do that, every purchase you make at Amazon, a tiny little percentage comes to us and it just helps to go into the cost of putting on this here podcast and it doesn't cost you an extra cent. So it's a really super easy way to help support the show. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can make a small monthly pledge, which also goes to supporting the show and uh, everything we do here. Both great ways to help us out. And we really, really appreciate everyone who does. Okay, so we will be back on Wednesday with feedback from all kinds from the last two episodes. I think we'll mix it in a little bit. And then we'll be back soon after that. Um, maybe not until the next Monday, but we'll be doing more feedback at that point. So uh, continue to send it in. Always great to hear from all the listeners. As for the next couple of months during the hiatus, um, one thing we are going to at least do is read the next Walking Dead novel, the one, two, three, four, fifth one in the series, if you count the third one as two books, which it was, and we'll review that. So that should be fun, <laughs> right? Well, it just it sounds confusing. Like the the fifth one, if you count the first one, is, or the third one is two books. You ever watch The Jerk? Yes, of course. Okay, so the, uh, he's talking to his girlfriend. He says, I've only known you for uh, nine weeks and four days, but really it uh, it feels like uh, uh, 17 weeks and three days because uh, <laughs> the first day, that felt like two days, and the second day, that felt like four days, and the third day, it only felt like a day because I didn't see you. But the fifth day, that felt like two and a half days, and he goes on like this for a long time. It's just It's funny. Well, we had book one, book two, then we had book three, part one, and book three, part two. So that's four. And now yep. we have the next one, which is the fifth book, but I guess the fourth story. <laughs> right. Or something. So It just is funny. Yeah, it's good. We're going to read that and review it. So if you read it, uh, it's The Walking Dead Descent. Um, I don't know if there's a subtitle on that one, but if you read it and have some thoughts, send them in to us, and we'll include those on that podcast. That'll probably be sometime... It'll probably be January by the time we, we get that done, would you say, Mr. Miles? Read the book over the what? holiday, maybe? Not over the holiday. January sometime. Okay, fine. The podcast will be in January sometime. I've got Christmas books to read, my friend. Oh, I, I'm sure you do. This is a Christmas <laughs> book. Come on. The Walking Dead Christmas. I'm surprised that doesn't exist. Yeah, i got to watch Die Hard, too. There you go. Because that's a Christmas movie. It is. Um, and and in two weeks from now, I will be at Walker Stalker Con, New York, New Jersey. So I'm going down there to hang out with uh, James and Eric and everybody involved in Walker Stalker Con. I will be moderating a bunch of panels this time. So if you've been to Walker Stalker Con, you kind of know what it's all about. If not, and you are in the New York area, by all means, come out, say hi, come to the panels. You'll be able to meet me. 
other Walking Dead podcasters, cast and crew from the show, and some other zombie uh, properties. It is always a really good time. So it's two weeks from now in uh, New Jersey, just across the river from Manhattan. It's going to be great, and I really, really look forward to it. So, uh, and I hope to meet some some fans there. So, uh, Walker Stalker Con in New Jersey in two weeks. Make sure you come and visit. And uh, I think that's all the announcements I have. So let's wrap this thing up. We'll see you on Wednesday, everybody. Until then, my name is Chris, and my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>